Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Clancy. I'm joined after a thrilling week of Serie A by Vito Doria. Vito, hello. How are you? Hi, Connor. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. Um, would have liked something better for my team, but uh, it was a good round of Serie A action. And yeah, once again, here we are to review all the best moments. Point against the champions. Can't complain too much, really. Uh, someone who will probably find reason to complain, however, is Kev Pugzelski. Kev, welcome back. We we had a nice little chat during the week on the, the Patreon preview pod, which, which some of our listeners will have heard. How are you keeping? Oh, I'm, I'm good. I think we called most things correctly. Um, mm. I can understand Vito's frustrations because general week, winning this weekend means that even after losing their first two games, they've got more points than Sam already this season. So. <laughs> No, 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 I needed to bring that up. But, uh... No, you didn't need to bring that up, particularly not less than a minute into the podcast. I think that's out of order, to be honest. But look, um, let's, let's get into it. Before we do, however, I do just want to remind all of you guys listening who haven't signed up to our Patreon that you should probably do so. We've got two euro, five euro and ten euro tiers. As I've said on the podcast a couple of times now, the five euro tier is excellent value for money. And last week, just last week alone, we had a lot of bonus content from the Serie A newsletter, which goes out every single Tuesday, to last week we had the, the Azzurri podcast special. Dov Schiavone joined me, and he was his typical negative self about the, the team who have just set a new world record for unbeaten matches in international football. And then Kevin and I, as we just alluded to, met for a Serie A preview pod. And I think we did quite well, actually, Kev. We, we picked three games um two of them definitely lived up to expectation and i called fiorentina beating atalanta you called napoli beating juventus and i can't remember what we said about the milan lazio game but we said it was going to be fun which it, it undoubtedly was um 
But there you go. That's that's what you've got to do. So guys, do please head over to Forza. Oh, I've done it again, Kev. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Forza Italian Football. And please do sign up. Contribute whatever you can. Don't worry. The These podcasts will be continually available going forward. But if you just want that little bit extra Italian football coverage in your lives, well, head over to Patreon and sign up there. The results then from this weekend's round, it was round three. Empoli lost at home 2-1 to Venezia. Napoli beat Juventus 2-1. Atalanta lost 2-1 to Fiorentina. Samp and Inter drew 2-2 in Sunday's early game. Cagliari threw away a two-goal lead to an inspired Genoa comeback to lose 3-2. Torino beat Salernitana 4-0. Spezia lost 1-0 to Udinese. Milan beat Lazio 2-0. Roma in dramatic fashion, beat Sassuolo 2-1. And Bologna hosts Hellas Verona on Monday evening. But what we're going to start with in part one is, of course, is the game of the weekend. It's Napoli, Juventus, Vito. Napoli beat Juve 2-1. And it's a real statement win for the Partenope. Beating Juventus, of course, means a lot to everybody. But it means a little bit more if you're from Napoli. Absolutely, just the symbolicness and the whole north and south divide, it's still strong today. So for the Partenope to get a win against the Juventus, uh, this would mean more than defeating any other northern Italian side, and especially the the most successful Serie A team in history. So it really is one to be proud of. Uh, It was a game that uh, the Partenope dominated, even though they were trailing early on through that goal by Alvaro Morata, um, they just had a lot more of the possession. And in the second half, I noticed a lot more. They looked more composed on the ball and had far more determination to get the three points. It was a completely deserved three points, though, from from Napoli, right? Juve were doing quite a a classic Allegri thing early on, um, but it it just wasn't enough. And, And Napoli, Vito, were deserving of the win. Most certainly, because with the skills on the ball they had, they were the way they were linking up. I think the players that Napoli have really suits uh, Spalletti's well of coaching in comparison to what he had to work with with Inter. Inter were perhaps a bit more mechanical on the eye, and uh, he had to build his attack around Icardi. This time, you can see, you know, from from the goalkeeper to the defence, midfield and attack. Um, there aren't many weak spots in that team. We could go on about that, but uh, the way that team is, I mean, you've got Ruiz controlling the midfield. Uh, Anguissa, who's a debutante, he played well. Uh, so in midfield, they've got those parts. Uh, look, Insigne wasn't at his very best, but he still had a good performance, still serviceable. And... Uh, also in the second half, well, Spalletti had to make some changes at half time, and uh, I think that also made an impact too. That made them a bit more uh, unpredictable, and instead, and also with uh, Ozyman not getting much of a chance on goal, it was important that the other players stepped up, especially if you look at the equaliser, uh, Politano just sneaking around the back there, mm. shrugging off Rabio and getting the ball in from a tight angle, despite. Shezhny uh, trying in vain to catch the ball. Uh, sometimes if uh, one player is not going to score in, it's always good to have other contributors making the difference. 
I was quite impressed by Anguisa's performance, to be honest. And on a debut to play like that, I thought was was very noteworthy. And I'm, he's not a player that I know all that much about. I don't watch all that much Premier League football, to be perfectly honest with you. But the guy who, as he tends to when this fixture comes around, stole the show was Kaladu Koulibaly. I don't know what what it is about this game, but he loves decisive goals, whether it's for Juventus or for Napoli. Yeah, you think he's um, he's known for his sort of defensive solidity and becoming that sort of focal point of the Napoli defence over the last few years. But when he sort of pops up with a goal, they just always tend to be against Juve, whether it was uh, 2018 when it looked like it was going to maybe lead Napoli to the title, which was not to not to be or the uh, the late own goal a couple couple of years later um i i would have liked to have seen if he could have just kind of not touched the ball and sort of see if it would back spin back in because it would have made for a phenomenal own goal from <laughs> Moise Ken um but uh, yeah he's just he's just got something about this fixture and um it's one of those where Typically, a bit in a uh, Higuain fashion, you you'd think, oh, he'll run, run his contract down, and end up a, end up at Juve scoring goals to them, but hopefully not. But um, yeah, it was um, it was perfect for the big man to sort of step up and tap the ball home for the winner. Koulibaly wouldn't do that, surely, surely I'd, not. I'd, I know, I'd, I'd be surprised. He seems to have a little bit more. Um, a little bit more about him than maybe uh, our friend Gonzalo. That's a bit harsh, and given the fact that you've called me Gonzalo countless times, I'm going to take that as a personal attack, so thanks very much, Kev. Um, we do have a question. We, we will get to more questions a little bit later on from our patrons, but just to start, because it's relevant to this game, Marco Jackson has written in and asked, have Napoli already fatally punctured Juventus' season? Vito, what do you think about that? It's too early to make a call like that because we're only three rounds in. And also, if Juve, especially under Allegri, have shown in the past is that even after a bad start, they mm. can um, finish the season well. Uh, as that old saying goes, you know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So in this case, it really is something that's going to take a bit of time. Uh, what it does uh, do, this result, is it does set Napoli up pretty well, gives them a bit of momentum, and it's a real confidence boost on their part, especially with Spalletti being in his uh, first season with the club, still trying to get to know the players. Uh, they're buying into his ideas quickly, and uh, so far they're playing well. Uh, Juventus, I don't think it's more about certain results that are going to be decisive. It's more just over the course of time. When you look at this team, especially when you consider that a lot of the team is getting old and uh, some of the players that have come in over the years have, let's just be honest, been mediocre at best. And they're really not going to be players that are going to take you over to the next level, help them rebuild for the future. It seems that uh, Ronaldo was really papering over the cracks, you know, at least having a player of his calibre, at least he was scoring the goals, but uh, there were other weaknesses that weren't being addressed properly or sufficiently. So, again, with this result, 
I won't. I'll say no. It hasn't punctured the season entirely, but at the moment, it's good for Napoli's momentum, but also bad for Juve's. Yeah, Kev. Well, Vito was talking about the the fact that it's early, and it is almost unprecedented for Juventus to be this bad at the start of the season. I mean, in the last fifty-one years, they have only once failed to win their opening three Serie A games. That came, of course, in 2015-16 and the coach then was, of course, Mr. Massimiliano Allegri and they did, of course, go on to to win the title. So do people just need to give it a few more weeks, maybe? Oh, they definitely need to give it a few more weeks. I think um, the 2015-16 season was, was quite different to this one because of just how good that squad was in comparison. Obviously, Vito just made the point about the um the recruitment that maybe hasn't gone quite as they would have expected, particularly I think with picking up young Italian talent and maybe, you know, maybe they've been unfortunate, maybe they've been a little bit too uh keen to grab players from other Syria sides. Um have you done that on purpose? Uh not no, because uh, uh I can't think what I've done, so I've clearly not done it on purpose. <laughs> Uh, uh, you said they were keen to grab players, uh, um, and I thought oh, you were but, uh, going with that pronunciation of Moyes Ken Keen. No, no, I'm still going by the I'm still going by the Ken. Okay, even good. if he decided to choose it when he moved to English football for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, no, I think um, it's it's far too early in the season at the moment to worry too much about them challenging for the title. I think it is a sign that they will struggle. To maintain a total challenge, um, but at the moment, what is it? Eight points with <laughs> quick math. Don't uh, do that. Thirty-five games still to go. I think. Um, I think. I think if they were still eight points off of whoever's top when half of the season's gone, then yeah, if I was a Juventus fan, I'd be kissing my uh, total hopes goodbye. The thing is, though, Allegri has chopped and changed quite a lot already this season and that's uh, maybe I'm misremembering it but that's not something I would have associated with with him before I mean as far as personnel and the the formation go he's not really been all that consistent uh, although some changes this weekend were forced rather than chosen but is that something that you think should be applauded from Allegri or is it just quite an obvious sign that he doesn't really know what his best team is at the moment I think you can applaud it slightly. When he came in for the first time, he was he was um, taking on Antonio Conte's um, certainly growing, if not already strong, starting eleven. Um, I don't think there's any problem with him necessarily. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't see it as a sign that he doesn't know what he's doing necessarily. I think it is a, certainly a sign that he doesn't know what his best eleven are. Mm. I think there's players in in the past that he's probably come in and thought, you know, you know, they're nailed down starters regardless of whatever they show me in training. And there's a, there's a history of them, you know, performing at such a level that you know that that that's the sort of spine of the team, or at least you know crucial crucial positions in the team are filled. And then he just has to kind of work out which players he wants to either bring in or those that will execute his game plan as he wants it to be executed. And I think probably at the moment he's thinking maybe seven, eight, if not all of them, he really isn't sure about what his 
best 11 are just to pick up as many points as they can now from the start to the end of the season so then they can have maybe a little bit more of a reshuffle during the summer okay that'll do it for part one there's only one Zlatan are you sure? yeah you know Zlatan? I know sometimes I think it's his twin brother because uh, last Wednesday there was another behaviour than, than today you play so well today how you know Zlatan? is the first time you meet him on the Part two, then, the only obvious place to, to go to is Milan, right? Because it was probably the second biggest game of the weekend, and any other weekend it would have been the biggest. Milan, of course, beat Lazio 2-0, and Vito, this is a sign of the Rossoneri sending a real message. We had praised Lazio time and again already this term, but Milan, I mean, I don't want to exaggerate, but they made light work of them. It was important for Lazio to have a test and get it early. They've had that and they did not su- succeed. But what Milan showed is that uh, they're a stronger team than probably what most people are giving them credit for. Perhaps uh, maybe we haven't given them enough credit. But uh, so far, they're maintaining that good run they've had since Pioli's been the coach. And uh, also with the options that are available to them, they're still able to produce results and they're looking like a really good side at the moment, the Rossoneri. Well, Cassie's back, right? But they did also start with, with Rebic, Romagnoli and Florenzi in the starting eleven. That is just a reflection of the depth they have there now, right? That they could play those players in this game and still win comfortably. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If Vito go. If they if they um if they can um you know, rotate their squad and those players can uh, step right in, uh, I think that's a very positive sign. I mean, you look at Rebic, he usually plays in the same position as Leon on left wing, but they can play as the lone striker. Then Romagnoli, let's be honest, uh, I think last season he was showing that he had a bit of uh, form issues, especially with injury and all that, and Tomori stepped in was fantastic. So if uh, it can step in here and there, he can still perform role in the team and be a solid performer. And uh, Florenzi, yeah, I think he's had a bit of stick in the last few years. But uh, I reckon in this team, regardless if he plays right back or right wing, he might be able to put in a good, solid performance and just put in a hard-working shift. Do you know what? I feel really bad for Florenzi because when he was at Roma, he, he got lumped back to right back despite not being a right back. And then... For some reason, it just stuck. And he has become a right-back despite never having been an actual right-back. And now he's getting the opportunity to play a, a right-wing with with years of practice doing this, the job that he was made to do, probably against his will, but he's too nice to say otherwise. So, yeah, I feel bad for him. Um, but I'm sure he doesn't really care that much, to be honest. Kev Zlatan is back. Came back off the bench to score and... Didn't take him too long, but it was always going to go this way, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's one of those sort of kind of easy narratives. I think if you're sort of sitting there and you know a player like them is um, coming back into the fold, and it is it is slightly easier with strikers, particularly let's say where's Latans playing on the last shoulder or just making sure he's in the box to sort of pick stuff up. A um, little bit more difficult if you're maybe an ageing sort of centre-half who comes back and you want him to sort of have a 
have a clean sheet and they're kind of dependent on the other defenders around them or goalkeepers not sort of making a mistake. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, just that, that said, it wasn't as if they were playing Salernitana or, oh. uh, you know, a, a, a bottom half of the table side and, you know, you can kind of throw them on to almost get that goal as would be expected on someone's return. Um, but it was kind of laid on a plate for him by Rebic. Yeah, it was. I mean, he, he couldn't have missed it, but I'm not sure if, if another player would have moved as well as him to make that pass. I don't know. Is there a word? Like, Rebic could not decide to not play that pass because of Ibra's movement. You know, once he went there, he had to put that through. and It was it was excellent. Real, really good experience play from, from the big man, which we've come to expect over the years, despite how insufferable he can sometimes be. Um, Kev, you tweeted about a bit of an incident after this game, and I... I can't work it out, to be honest with you, because there was a bit of a coming together. I don't know if we can even call it that because it never really escalated to be as much. But when the full-time whistle went, Ibrahimovic just kind of grabbed Lucas by the back of his neck. And I'm assuming he squeezed or something because Lucas wasn't happy about it. And then it all just kicked off, didn't it? Yeah, somebody said that it was kind of kicking off for other things that that had gone on. I, I saw the footage and then... It was it was one of those. He's he's clearly Lucas has gone in for the challenge. I think he's probably made the challenge. Ball's gone out of play. Ibrahimovic has sort of grabbed him behind it. He's clearly squeezed him or done something to then antagonise Lucas. But it's I mean what annoyed me most on social media is it's the whole kind of uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic fan club. It's like oh you know he's he's showing him who's boss and all this. It's like but. <laughs> and but it's it's very much that that playground kind of bully mentality that oh look at me I'm bigger than you I can sort of mm. you know shake your hand and squeeze it or just hold you and I just thought I I commented uh, as much as you shouldn't do this at home children uh, that Lucas should have just stuck one on him because those sorts of people that have kind of just got this overwhelming sort of bully boy tactic and kind of built up this persona of not, you know, everybody else kind of goes with them because they don't want to sort of stand up and go, look, just stop being a knob, will you? It's just like, just leave it. There's no even need to grab him. And it's sometimes the only thing they ever resort, resort, uh, sorry, respond to rather than resort to. Isn't Um, that just what Zlatan Ibrahimovic has become? Oh, it is. Yeah. And... Ah, uh, yeah. That, that's 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 one of the few things, if you like, that makes people maybe maybe dislike him. But um, yeah, I've I've got allegiances for my little friend Lucas Labour. You do so, well. You uh, love Lucas, don't you? So were you happy when you saw a little Pedro pop up and and defuse the situation? I thought Pedro did excellently there because he was quite clearly behind Zlatan, so you couldn't see him. Um, but then he just comes into shot over or to the right of his shoulder, and you can see him shouting his name as Latan's probably at the point of his career now where at the end of every game everyone's shouting his name so he doesn't hear it too much. But then Pedro just grabs him and is just giving him a big old smile and then Zlatan just starts smiling and they have a little hug and I thought, fair play to Pedro then. Pedro must have had something on him from that sort of brief 12-month stint at Barcelona together maybe. Quite possibly. Don't start Zlatan or I'll tell him about that time in the locker room. (laughs) Yeah, well there are... 
pretty unfounded, but there are some whispers about Zlatan Ibrahimovic's uh, time at Barcelona. But I do think most of it is just an attempt to get under his skin, which it probably would if he ever saw it. But I'm sure he's seen it by now. It's pretty impossible for him to have missed out on that one. But good win for Milan. They they've got a 100% record veto. It's it's just them and Napoli now who who still have. Oh, that 100% record three games in and yeah like you kind of said earlier they're, they're just still marching on under Pioli really it's <clears throat> pardon me it's uh, yeah, been a very good run for them and uh, they're not scraping through games maybe against some it was a bit of a struggle but uh, against Coyote they were just completely dominant and uh, I think they were being a bit generous on Coyote to stop at four goals. They probably could have scored more if they tried in the second half, but that first half, they were just absolutely superb. And even in this game against Lazio, uh, they probably should have scored more than two goals and uh, it didn't look like Lazio offered much of a threat, which is probably a bit of a shame considering the the great start they had, but... uh, these early tests, like I said earlier, that's what Sari and his boys really need. And hopefully for their sake, they learn from it. Whereas with uh, Pioli and his group, yeah, it's about continuity. And if they maintain this, especially in the second half of the season, because that's probably one thing they failed to do last season. If if they can continue the good form after the Christmas break, then uh, it might set them up nicely for another Champions League spot or even another title. Yeah, absolutely. Who knows? Well, that'll do for part two. There's, a, there's another thing that I, that I have to say that I love with you. If a player doesn't do what you ask him to do for the team, he's out. I always uh, talk about uh, education and respect. And uh, I demand this. I give this, but I demand this. And uh, if someone uh, um, haven't the, the good attitude during the transition or good behavior so in, uh, in different uh, circumstances, uh, yeah, I prefer to kill him. In part three, we're going to go to the champions. They, they couldn't make it three wins from three, despite going a goal up twice in at Marassi. Inter, of course, went away to Sampdoria and drew 2-2. Kev, blowing two leads to, to draw, I, I mean, it's not great. And you would be hard-pressed to argue that Inter actually deserved anything more than a point. Yeah, I'm not sure you can even call it blow. Well, clearly you can literally call I it did. blow in two leads. <laughs> um, but I'm not actually sure they deserve to be in front you know, the, the the way, the balance of play and sort of how much dominance um, Sampdoria had throughout the game, it would have been more to kind of script that that into sort of graph something back out of this game because Samp could have gone ahead as early as four minutes. You know, the defence was just really, really sluggish. Look, a lot of Inter's play on the day. Uh, Forsby just sort of wandered in between two defenders and, and, and sent a header over the bar. Um the free kick that DeMarco took and scored wonderfully well was not really a free kick. Although close to the end of the first half, there was actually a more robust challenge by Coley on Martinez that probably could have been a free kick in exactly the same place. So maybe you say that those two even themselves up. And actually it was a little bit of um, 
sort of sluggishness on Sampdoria's part that allowed Kalinoglu to uh, rob the ball from Damsgaard and then into the breakaway and um, Martinez's finishes. But um, while Samp had a bit of luck with the Yoshida goal, although I still think that it was such a deflection of Jekka, I'd, I'd give it as an own goal. Um, Samp would have been extremely disappointed to to sort of walk away with that without any points from that game and uh, into probably leave feeling very lucky. And considering they lost their last season, it was one of the, you know, they only lost against Milan and Juventus last season and dropped points against Samp. So they probably might take a point, considering it's on the back of a, uh, an inter- you know, a very condensed international break. Um, and I'm not sure how hot it was in general, but it looked lovely. Uh, the sun beaming down on the, the Luigi Ferraris. We had 30, 32, I think, here today. So Genoa, I mean, is, is just straight across. So you get that little bit of a coolness from the sea, of course. But it wouldn't have been cool, let's say. It would have been quite hot. And it's always hotter at pitch level too, isn't it? But we will talk about the Sampdoria perspective on this just in a little moment. I do want to talk about that. Lautaro Martinez goal into second. Because from start to finish, the whole thing was just beautiful. But that the way he finishes that off, it's just... The latest example, from this goal all the way back to his first, which was, I think, wasn't it a preseason friendly against Atletico? And he just does these stupidly athletic, technically impossible things and makes them look so simple. The, um, oh, sorry, I was just going to say the pass from Varela didn't make it easy um, to finish that. Sorry, go Vito, I'm jumping in. That's okay, because I was still deciding, should I praise Inter for the way they executed their attack, or how poorly Sump did to actually not stop that movement in the first place? Because I did tweet about that, because, uh, yeah, you can uh, praise how good Inter were from the way Chalonogli managed to win the ball back, and Barella, if we're to praise him, he did a great job to sort of run up the field and uh, play the pass to Lautaro, and then Lautaro... You know, he's, he's a quick player, hard worker, and yeah, he does have that technique as well. So to get into that uh, spot and uh, finish off like he did, Aldero didn't have much of a chance to save it. So uh, from that perspective, the counter-attack was very well executed. Uh, as it's clear, you know, I do have my biases. I thought Damsgaard was very weak to let Chalonogli win the ball off like that because I don't really associate Chalonogli with that kind of play. And I think uh, Damsgaard should have been a lot smarter, if not a lot stronger in that situation. Uh, Algello tried to put in a tackle. And and look, Barella, he's not the tallest guy, but he is strong. But in saying that, that's very poor defending on Jello's part. He should be able to read the play more and get into a better position to at least put in a proper tackle. And then, um, if we, not just that goal, but in general, some central defence was pretty open. So I think... Uh, Inter, with the players they've got, especially someone like Lautaro, it's easy to expose the space. So uh, in that situation, um, Sump really did commit defensive suicide there because as Lautaro showed, he's going to bury those chances. Yeah, I, I was expecting you to cry foul on uh, the challenge from Damsgaard, but I saw your tweet, Vito, and I thought, wow, he's being very, <laughs> he's being very, um, he's being very, very good to Chalamoglu for the challenge because I thought you'd, uh, you were kind of scathing of uh, Damsgaard's sort of physical ability of uh, shielding the ball, if we like, and I thought, oh, Vito's, um, 
where Samps is concerned, Vito has got a uh, sort of an unbiased bone in his body, which I haven't seen before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he just went down too quick. Simple as that. So I was disappointed with Damsgaard on that, he, especially what he's done last season, and especially after the Euros he had. Uh, I'm expecting a lot better from him. Yeah, you you would. If you're getting muscled off the ball by Akin Chalanoglu, you've, you've got to be asking questions of yourself. And having watched Roberto Tavares' teams very, very closely for the last three years, I'm telling you, he's not going to be happy about Damsgaard losing the ball like that. What I liked about that goal, though, was um, Barella and Chalanoglu basically did each other's jobs, right? Because Chalanoglu did what Barella usually does, and Barella did what Chalanoglu's been signed to do, and beat a couple of players and then put a, a ball into the box to be finished off. But, Gav, I know this is something that you were a little bit annoyed, maybe, about. I felt similarly that Federico Di Marco finally started for Inter, but he started at left centre-back, which, given what he did at the other end of the pitch when he was allowed to go down there, was a bit frustrating. Yeah, admittedly, uh, I saw the team sheet and I thought, oh, that's that's great. I'm going to see uh, DeMarco in an inter because I was really impressed with him when I saw him for, for Hellas Verona last season. Then I realised, because I paid very little attention to international football, that Bastoni had got injured and uh, Inzaghi was actually playing him in the um, the back of a, sorry, the left-hand side of a pack three. Um, on, on the goal, just excellent, excellently executed. Um, you think he's gone the side which the wall are not covering and the accuracy and the pace at which he sort of hit that ball with was just 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 phenomenal. It's it's like it reminded me of a probably a sort of a FIFA console game ten, maybe fifteen years ago where you could sort of see the arch of the ball and all you had to really do was yeah. just hold your hold the button down and it was it. You know, it it was gonna be a goal. Um but I do think in hindsight they missed a little bit of a trick playing him there because Perisic was probably one of the worst players on the pitch for Inter. And uh, you've got Dzeko, who's, you know, he's, he's, he's not very mobile these days, but he's got some kind of aerial prowess. And they really didn't make any inroads down that left-hand side. And I think it was kind of just crying out for, you know, to maybe have DeMarco have a go along that left-hand side because um, they were a little bit disjointed at the back, but Skriniar and De Vrij were were handling most things that came their way and it, you could have probably even thrown an Asian collar off on just to kind of get DeMarco further up the pitch and sacrifice Perisic because he did very little. But um, hopefully he'll get some chances further up the um, the field. But I actually don't think he did his chances any any harm because I think it was a performance where Inzaghi can, can, can feel confident in the job he would do there later in the season if needed. Um, because I think Bassoni is going to be out for Real Madrid uh, Tuesday, Wednesday this week in the Champions League, so he may have to fill in again. He might well do. On the free kick, I thought it looked like Audero set his wall up for a right-footed player. I just I don't well, know what he was expecting there. Like you Chal- see, Marco step up, but, I, mm. but Chalanoglu was there, so he probably did. You know, considering all of everything he's probably worked on in a week is probably watching free kicks from. Chalnoglu and not even really expected DeMarco yeah. to play. So I can kind of understand that. But um, anywhere else, or maybe a little bit less pace on the ball, I think Aldero's fine. He sort of picks that up or tips it over. But it was mm. 
It was a superbly hit set piece. I don't know, Vito, you might be able to answer this. It's not a, a real question, but I'll, I'll let you come in on it when I throw over the sample. I don't think Aldero ever just has a, a normal game. He either does something that I think he should have done better there or he just plays out of his skin like he did against Sassuolo the game I was at. But I, I do want to come to you for, for the Sampdoria perspective on this because you said you were a little bit dis- disappointed with the result, but in most circumstances, a draw against the champions would be seen as a decent a decent. Um, outcome well from that perspective it is good considering that into other running set our champions but it's just based on the way some played uh, eventually we just threw the kitchen sink at them and uh, i was surprisingly impressed with the performance because my expectations of some under diversa have been very low the way we played we showed determination we showed energy but we played with a lot of flair as well and quite a few players were playing you know Above those skins or under the skins. I'm getting that expression on but uh, uh, Berezinski is a player that's much maligned and we've criticised him before. Uh, but I thought he played very well today. He did a great job to set up the equaliser for Algello and he was just doing some things on the ball I didn't think he was able to do. Uh, Kandreva was both a pleasure and a frustration <laughs> in equal amounts. He's... His energy and determination, even at 34, is fantastic, but he can still put in a bad cross. And at the last moment, um, Yoshida was free. He had no one on him. He probably could have scored the winning goal and got his brace, but Kandreva decided to be a ball hog, and he gets uh, tripped. So um, <laughs> that really infuriated me. I mean, oh, I could do a veto event just on that. I mean, he should have passed to him. And I thought I was there and then. And then D'Ambrosio with that goal line clearance. Unbelievable. He pulled that out of nowhere too. Danilo D'Ambrosio with that. So I thought that Inter were there for the taking. We left gaps in defence, but Inter weren't putting many shots on target. But surprisingly, we were playing with a lot of confidence on the ball, doing all these flicks, aerial balls. Just the combination play was absolutely superb. And uh, and that was even with Chicho Caputo and Fabio Quagliarella not playing particularly well. So if if they can somehow turn things around, surely that first one of the season's around the corner. And um, despite not getting the win, I think there was so much to like about that performance. And I thought we really deserved the winners. And especially seeing that Stefano Sensi was basically a passenger in the last 10 minutes, going down to 10 men, I thought, Inter were definitely there for the taking and probably were fortunate to get a point to take back to Milan. So I was going to make two points. I was going to make a third because I've forgotten about Sensi that uh, Vito just mentioned. Firstly, with your Samp hat on, and I know your answer because I saw your tweet about this, Vito. What was Cam Draver doing with that book? And it was horrific. But don't you think the Orgello goal comes off his shin. The more and more I watch the slow-mos, he's kind of, it oh, hits his shin on. as much as his foot. It's it's the truest strike I've ever seen Some come off of somebody's joint of shin and sort of foot. Anyway, so that's just me poking, poking, poking <laughs> fun at Sam a little bit. But with Sensi, when we when we kind of flip it back to into it, I was, I was getting more infuriated that they left him on the pitch. But I do think it's a sign that well, do I think Conte would have done any different? Maybe not, but that 
it's a, admittedly like a jarring tackle on the knee, but you take the lad off. He's clearly in discomfort and having him out there just shows some sort of conscious or subconscious fear that they can't get through that game with 10 men. Whereas I think an interside, you know, the inter of the back end of last season would have played with 10, not taken a risk on the player and probably seen the game out. And there was just something in there that, I don't know, maybe it just says something to the other 10 players that are fit and active that we're not going to be able to get through this without having some body that was sort of limping around terribly like he was. And I don't think it's good for the player. I don't think it's good for the other No, and I, I think you're right to raise that, actually, because it wasn't just a player. It was Stefano Sensi, mm-hmm. who has just been a walking injury for the last two years. And he missed out on the Euros after getting called up into the squad because he got injured in the first day or two of the of the training camp having been quite lucky to get called up in the first place because he barely kicked the ball last season and I thought it was really irresponsible actually and I know our, our friend Nima shared our opinions on that he was fuming and you can't blame him there I thought that was pretty poor and I'm sure that Inzaghi will say that I don't know his his medical team said it was okay or whatever but I wasn't wasn't best pleased with that because it was sensi of all players as well he, he needs very, very careful management. I mean, he's a bit like Roberto Inglese here at Parma in that he can't get onto a pitch without getting injured. So if he looks like he's injured, get him off. Yeah, and it's one of those where you probably understand it just because of kind of the character of Conte if it had been last season, where, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of put Conte in this character, you know, in this sort of uh, group of managers that are very much you know, I want 110% and you sort of stick it out. And, you know, unless your leg's hanging off, you're not coming off the pitch. Whereas Inzaghi kind of always comes across as a, as a more considerate coach and maybe would take the player's welfare, um, you know, into account first. But, yeah, it wasn't, it, you know, well, I was certainly getting annoyed at seeing it because it was just, after a couple of minutes, you realise how much, you know, you can see, you can visibly see how much discomfort the player's in. And, again... We spoke about Juve dropping as many points as they have this season. If Samp had gone on to win that game, Inter would have won that point back somewhere in the season. So it's just not worth it. But, yeah. We'll move on to talk about all of the rest of, of the Serie A action in part four. Jose Mourinho, the man who stole the show. You're the special one and you're dynamo. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jose Mourinho, you're special. There is only one place to start with the rest of the Serie A action, and it is, of course, with a certain Mr.'s 1,000th game as a coach. Roma, in stoppage time, beat Sassuolo 2-1 through a Stefan Alcherawi screamer. It was a beautiful goal. One of those goals that kisses the post and goes in the other side. It was so nice. But the celebration, the scenes... Mourinho was down under the curva with all of the players. Kevy's box office. How can you not like this? When I saw earlier in the week it was going to be his thousandth game, I my 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 mind, my brain could only compute that that meant a one 0 win for Roma against the Sfola. I'd forgotten all about the um, the antics, you know, the classic Mourinho antics back in 2004 when he went running off uh, in, at Old Trafford with Porto. And then obviously um, Stefan Al-Shawari's wonderful goal 
and then off he goes. And I just thought to myself, he has planned that. You know, I know you love I know you love the 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 box office Jose, but you thought to yourself, this is this is week three. You know, this isn't Champions League qualification on, you know, match day thirty six or whatever. This is like week three. It's like you know, he's made sure he's wearing trainers and tracksuit bottoms tonight rather than No, sort of no, 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 and no, no, no. It's just but it's I'm I'm he's definitely had that in the back of his mind and he's probably been the last 20 minutes of the game he's probably been looking at every attack Roma go forward oh 72 minutes if we score now I can't do it oh Roma attack oh, 83 minutes I think you've lost oh, your okay. mind no I think he you th- I think right he but every time Mourinho does something people say oh he's planned that you reckon he planned for them to be <laughs> 1-1 against a really dangerous team going into stoppage time and for El Shirawi to pull that off. No, I think he had, in his mind, he had, and I think we've all done it in, you know, whatever things or like, and you think, in this circumstance, I'm doing this. In other circumstances, I'm doing whatever. And, this, and, and it was such a great goal from Skamaka that was only marginally offside. I would have loved that to have counted because it would have just blown that hole. It would have no longer have been a winner, would have looked a little, little farcical, which it was farcical in a way. But yeah, I, I think Roma win 2-1 with exactly the same goals tonight on like 65 minutes. He doesn't make that run. No, obviously uh, he doesn't make the run. No, but... Obviously he doesn't. He, the reason he ran is because of the drama. It was a stoppage time winner. The drama that he wants... No, if they won the they won the match in stoppage time. It's, if he, it's, it's if he the, hang on, it's the shut up for a minute. Shut up for a minute. If he'd just stood there and given it a little fist pump, you'd have said, "Oh, look at him. He's Mourinho. He thinks that he's too big for this win over Sassuolo in round three, and he's not bothered celebrating it." No, it's because amazing. if he'd done that, we wouldn't be talking about it. It's amazing. Yeah, but you, hang on, <laughs> you'd be. Damn wrong if you think we're not talking about Mourinho every week on this podcast this season. Um, oh, well, you, you made that clear when he signed <laughs> in, April, in April last year. So um, whatever you and Jose have got on going on, I you can you. get a correct I met it. him in McDonald's when I was a child and it's left a, a permanent... Did you? Did, did I not tell you the, the story about toilets, did he? No. Did, did he not? take you off somewhere, did he? Were no. your parents with you? Yeah, my dad was five feet behind my shoulder. I met Mourinho at the Gatwick Airport, McDonald's. Can we go off? We'll go off on a tangent for a second. Um, <laughs> so I was a kid and me, my dad and a lot of his friends, I think some of my cousins and stuff were there, had been over to a, a game in, in London and we were flying out that night to go back to Ireland. And we were just at the McDonald's all sitting at a table and my dad's looking back at us all and nodding towards the table beside us. And we all just thought he was losing his mind because it was just like a, a family at the table, like two young girls, a, a mother and a father. Like, what's he doing? And next thing he starts whistling. We're like, what is going on? And then he came back and he was like, do you know who's at the table behind you? We're like, no. It's like, it was Mourinho. So I went up. I got sent up because I was the youngest, basically, with a like a pile of Chelsea match day programs being told get him to sign these so I went up and I, I must have had like eight of them and I asked him like oh Mr. Mourinho like will you sign my programs 
And sure enough, yeah, he like he obliged. He signed the first, yeah. and then I kept turning you, you them. You turned to the into a small Victorian girl. When you were asking <laughs> him to uh, sign the program, but it was quite nice because I kept like when he signed one, I'd put it to the bottom, and the, it was just like a, a never-ending pile, like a a magician's scarf, basically. And when it got to the fourth, he just cracked up and he patted me on the head, and he was like, "Good lad, did you enjoy the match?" And he was he was very nice. So, yeah, Mourinho. Was, um, I'm more disappointed you ate in McDonald's, if I'm honest. But there you go. We shouldn't we shouldn't be giving the brand any more uh, more um, airtime advertisement. It's McDonald's. Yeah. I don't think it makes any bit of difference. It's not like it's something that it might make a bit of difference to McDonald's. Are going to be all right whether or not we mention them on the Forza Italian Football fucking podcast. Yeah, but I think we're they're they're as evil as Jose Mourinho. <laughs> <laughs> so they're brilliant, effectively. All right. Anyway, moving on. Vito Atalanta lost one. No, they didn't. They lost two one <laughs> to Fiorentina. Um, all three goals were penalties. I did call this in the preview pod, but it's a big, big win for La Viola. Well, it was. And what surprised me is that none of the goals came from open play. They're all penalties. Mm. Uh, I think with the top of teams that they are, with the coaches they have, there would have been more from open play. And generally speaking, Atalanta and Fiorentina games are actually usually pretty good on the ice. So, yeah, so that's my bit about them. But uh, just about Fiorentina in particular, I think it's a positive start. As we've said a few times, under the presidency of Rocco Comiso, there's always been that sort of false hope or heavy expectations on them in the hope that they can try and become a, a really competitive side. But uh, and they've managed to get uh, two wins out of three. So I think it's a promising start for Italiano. And I'm not going to put big expectations on them as yet, but I think it's a good start for the new coach. And... Uh, you know, some foundations for them to build on as the season progresses. And I think they do it with a, a sense of style. And to have a young striker like uh, Dusan Vlaovic, he did score two penalties, but he's a good player in open play as well. So I think once he gets a few more goals in open play again, um, I think uh, there'll be a lot of people singing his praises too. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Torino got a big win. They beat Salernitana. I've written Salerno on the on the running order I've just seen. Uh, they beat Salernitana 4-0. It was a very important three points for Toro. Uh, yeah, I think uh, they need to pick up points against those sides around them. Um, I'm not sure how big a win it is because Salernitana looked like they were really going to struggle this year. I think the first, um, first three goals were all crosses into the box, so um, either they need to find themselves a commanding goalkeeper or a better centre-half to clear some of those. But um, they kind of struggled to pick, though. You know, when they went on that long run last season of not winning games, there were teams against relegation strugglers or Serie A newcomers where Torino really need to pick up some points to get, not necessarily a bit of momentum, but just pick some points up to sort of... Uh, lessen the gloom around the Stadio Olimpico. So it was uh, was quite important. Empoli 1, Venezia 2. Venezia are off the mark. And it's a huge result because it was against a team they'll probably be fighting against relegation alongside. In that context, it was definitely a big win. And it's quite incredible that uh, Venezia got that win away to Empoli after Empoli got a win against Juve. Watching this game, I thought Venezia definitely deserved the three points. Uh, there were moments, especially in the second half, where Empoli tried to get into the game and attack, but Venezia were very impressive. They looked very confident on the ball. They attacked that pace, and uh, I think Empoli were lucky to lose just by one goal because I think if they were a bit more clinical, especially in the first half, Venezia, they definitely could have won by more. Uh, Jonsson, the Norwegian winger, should have scored two lovely goals, but instead uh, either his placement on the first shot wasn't good enough and the second one, he just took too long to shoot. He probably should have just chipped the goalkeeper. Uh, Thomas Henry scored the first goal, good finish, and then played the pass for the second by Okareke, and that was a fantastic goal. Maybe Empoli should have done better, but for Okareke, who only had been on for a few minutes, score that solo goal, it was a... Fantastic finish. And uh, one player to keep out on, keep an eye out on is Gianluca Buzio, the Italian-American midfielder. Works incredibly hard, mm. very strong in the challenge, but he's, he's clean on the ball as well. So he's a very complete midfielder, a young midfielder. I think uh, he's definitely a player to keep an eye out on. For sure. Kev, you watched Udinese's 1-0 win at Spezia. Why? Well, partly because it was the only one that the UK broadcaster was showing and I was waiting for Stace to get ready to go to the pub. So (laughs) 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 that's it. What what better reason isn't there? Just go meet her at the pub. Go and get a couple of pints in early, I I would advise. But uh, how did it go? Udinese won one now. Yeah, I I kind of have been uh, sort of not that positive on Udinese and... um, they weren't. They weren't brilliant, but they they played with a little bit more purpose than I think I've probably 
it's felt sometimes like their performances have kind of felt like how they are in the league over the last few years, you know, just treading water and just doing the bare minimum. But um, De La Faye is having quite a, an interesting, if uh, sort of impressive start to the season. And yeah, there just seems to be a bit more, uh, a bit more purpose to their play. Well, it's just part of your FIF contract, isn't it? That you're not allowed to be very positive or upbeat about Udinese. So I, I respect you for fulfilling that. Um, Cagliari Genoa. Cagliari, sorry, against the mighty Genoa. The 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 Islanders went 2-0 up and Vito's already rolling his eyes. But the, the mighty Griffones came fighting back and they won 3-2. What a, what a comeback. What a club. What a fantastic team and, and what an impact from Mohamed Fares, Vito. Why did Kayari do that? Seriously. <laughs> it's either they make comebacks or teams come back against them. You know, that's what's happened over the last two years. But uh, yeah, just to blow a 2 0 lead, that is embarrassing from Kayari. Uh, as for Genoa, I think it's a real surprise that uh, Fares at all people scored a brace because he's a left wing back. You'd expect him to at least set up a goal, but he's he's definitely become the definition of an unlikely hero. And then uh, the youngster, Andrea Cambiazzo, he provided two assists. Uh, he, uh, one of his uh, crosses was a assist for Mattia Dessler's goal to pull it back to 2-1. So um, from the Griffone perspective, I suppose if they're having players that aren't... Uh, you know, expected to perform those kind of tasks and they're stepping up, uh, that will you know, help them survive relegation. And, of course, the final game of this weekend will be played on Monday night, Bologna host Verona, because there's already a packed midweek round and a Friday fixture, so we really did need that Monday night filled with uh, pointless Serie A games. So thank you, Lego Serie A, for that. I am now joined by Ewan Burns to talk through the latest Serie A Feminile action. And as it tends to be, it was full of goals again this weekend. And I'm just going to start by by running through the, the results. Ewan, I should actually say hello to you. Thanks thanks for taking the time to come on and talk to us again this week. <laughs> no problem at all. Um, so obviously, Milan went away to Lazio on, on Saturday and won 8-1. Yes, 8 one Sassuolo beat Sampdoria 2-0. I was in Sassuolo at the Enzo Ricci for that, so I'm sure we'll have a little bit of a chat about that one. Roma beat Pomigliano 2-1. Juventus beat Alas Verona 3-0. Inter beat Empoli 4-1. And probably the, the biggest standout result of the round was Napoli beating Fiorentina 1-0. So where shall we start? I think it's probably right to, to go to Milan. They are top of the league now. Them, Juve, Roma, Inter and Sassuolo all have maximum points from their three games so far. But this, away to newly promoted Lazio, was as much of a statement win, Ewan, as you could possibly imagine. Yeah, it, it didn't look like two teams in the same division. It was a like, you know, there's a battering and then there's this game. Because straight from the off, I think, I think the first goal was after like four minutes and they'd already had a very good chance before that. Um, Valentina Giacinti just was just the biggest problem. <laughs> like, I don't know how she... There's a lot of things with this, with this result where 
you have to weigh it up against the fact that Lazio really weren't very good. So either she is the best player in the world at finding space, <laughs> or it's just the leakiest, most gappiest defence you've ever seen, because she was just on her own in the box all the time. She missed two or three sitters as well as scoring four goals. Um, she was linking up with Lindsay Thomas in the most delightful way. They were just jinking through people. They had Bergamaski behind them, which was really good as well. Um, she just sort of would feed it to the two of them and then they'd muck about for a bit and then score a goal. That was more or less how the first half went. Um, but she, you know, she scored four goals and she, she only played just under an hour. You know, she, she got taken off and um, Lindsay Thomas got taken off quite soon after as well, only about 10 minutes later. So it was just Lazio do not look like a team that are going to stay up. Obviously, they have only just come up, so it is probably fair enough that they've not shown anything so far that would make you think that they're going to stay in the division. And Milan, based on this performance, do look like a team generally capable of, you know, it feels daft to say win every game, but as we've said, that is what it takes. <laughs> and, they, you know, at the moment, they look like they could do that. It basically comes down to the games against Sassuolo and Juve, right? That's what we're thinking from these early rounds anyway. Certainly what I am, I would be including Sassuolo in that. But Jacinti is, she's a stupid footballer. She's She must be a nightmare to, to play with as well. Because you see, they I can't remember which game it was this season. Um, let me just take a quick look. I think it was their first game of the season because she didn't score a hat-trick, did she? No, she scored twice. It was the 4-0 win over Alas Verona. She scored twice. And at 4-0, she was going mad at her teammates because she hadn't scored her hat-trick yet. And it's just, she feeds off goals. And she is so intelligent at finding these spaces as well. And she does miss quite a lot of chances. But she's just a headache for everyone else on the pitch, her teammates included. And I mean that in the best possible way. She's just a moan and it must be a nightmare to be up against her or to be playing with her. But one of those players who at the same time as you know, you're going to get an earful if you misplace a pass, you know that more often than not, she's going to put away a chance if you create it. And you know, she's going to create a lot of chances just by finding space. But Lindsay Thomas as well was also on the score sheet. She got two and she's just taken to, to life at Milan seamlessly as well. Yeah, definitely. She, she's got this interesting dribbling style. Every now and then you get these players who you sort of watch them run with the ball and you think, oh, you're, you're not going very quickly. You're going to get caught up soon. But no one gets near them. <laughs> I always remember the, the player who always sticks in my head whenever I say that is Dimitar Berbatov in the men's game. He used to be like that. He, he'd sort of cruise through the middle of the pitch and you'd think, he's just going to get tackled in a minute and he just wouldn't people just bounce off him and Lindsay Thomas got that same feeling about her and the the finishing seems to be coming into her game a lot more now she struggled for goals last year at Roma she was always dangerous but she didn't score many goals but you know she seems to have sorted that out and you know, look like they've got another really good forward on the pitch yeah they they really do and that that partnership what they've got there with Thomas and Giacinti Sassuolo have with Sofia Cantore and Lana Cleland and like I said I was I was there my first ever time going to Sassuolo the place this weekend I've been to Sassuolo's new home the Mape of course too many a lot more times than I would like to have been there to be perfectly honest with you but Sassuolo as a town's lovely I was I was very surprised in the province of Modena it's, it was quite complicated to get to but partially because Trenitalia just decided to 
not run their trains between Parma and, and Reggio Emilia, which added an extra 45 minutes onto my trip, which was not great. Um, multiplying the, the train journey by, by three, their 15-minute trip to Reggio turned into a I was going to say, it's not far, is it, on the map? When, when no. <laughs> no, but the, the way when they have the substitute buses, um, but that's not correct in English, is it? Re- the replacement buses, um, substitute. Uh, yeah, rail, rail replacement, we call it. <laughs> yeah, the, the rail replacement buses go to the little side streets rather than just going on the motorway and doing it in 20 minutes. They they go through all of the little villages like Santilario, and there's just no point going there because no one gets on or off. But anyway, no one cares about that. Sassuolo is a lovely place and Sassuolo have a really, really enjoyable team. And I, I said this in a tweet, but I, I want to bring it up again because if you're listening to this podcast and you do not have an Italian football team that you have pinned all of your love to, make it Sassuolo because across the board, this club are just doing things the right way. Their women's team are brilliant. Their men's team are brilliant. The way the club is run, is second probably only to Atalanta in in Serie A. And if if I didn't have a team now, I'd be buying all of the Sassuolo gear because they're doing things right. One of the big bugbears I have with Atalanta is that they created the women's team and then disbanded it after, I think, one year. But Sassuolo, they, they look like the real deal. Lana Cleland, I'm going to talk about her because I wrote about her, and I don't think there's a player that I love more at the moment than than Lana Cladden, but her partnership with Cantore is is ridiculous, Ewan. And if Jacinti and Toma can can give Milan reasons to believe in a title, then Cantore and Cladden can do the exact same for Sassuolo. Yeah, definitely. We yeah we've we've already talked about narrowed down our title hopefuls to a specific set of teams, and you know the easiest way to judge teams is by their goal scorers, and both those teams have got such clear, brilliant partnerships up front that are going to score. You know, you, to, to, to overturn this Juventus team, you need at least two players to be in double figures um, and preferably a few more players chipping in very regularly. Um, and Milan as well have that. Juve have got it tenfold with who we'll come on to. And then Roma and Inter, the other teams we've had in there, and they, they seem more more like teams that share the goals around. Obviously, they have got individuals like uh, Gloria Marinelli at uh, Inter, Serterini, and probably, say, Gliana, probably um, Roma seem to stand out as goal scorers, but it's a bit more spread through the midfield as well for them. Um, but yes, as well, they're just look dangerous all the time. They're constantly dangerous, but they're, they're sort of, not in a chaotic way, I feel like they're quite silky. Yeah. <laughs> They're quite smooth in the way that they batter teams. Yeah, they, they're quite suffocating. They When they have the ball, you do think that, right, the only way Sampdoria get the ball back is if Sassuolo score and they get kickoff or they miss a shot because every move they they build looks like it's going to end in a shot. And then you've got Cleland and Cantore who don't need to speak but just understand each other. And the movement from Cleland in particular is just it's ridiculous. I mean... I'd encourage everyone to to go over to, to ForzaItalianFootball.com and read what I wrote from, from the Enzo Ricci about Cleland because I must have spent a good hour of that 90 minutes just watching her and Cantore just to see what they were up to. And Cleland is the type of player that you want to have player cam 
back four. You know that option on Sky back in the day where you could go in and just watch a player. I was effectively doing that and I've no regrets. I'm going to go back to Sassuolo this season, probably multiple times, and just continue to do that because she's a joy (laughs) to watch. Her, Her movement's insane. She has this way of playing passes that even from the stands, you don't see. And I don't know how she can spot these things. I said in my thing that it's like she's got a drone hovering 50 meters above the pitch and she's connected up to some camera in that because the movements she's able to spot. (laughs) Yeah. She she plays these like first time no look passes just with the outside of her foot that go around three defenders. And it's, it's crazy. And Cantora has obviously got the pace that allows her to play balls into space that Cantore can, can then get onto. And the two of them together are just terrifying, absolutely terrifying. But Sampdoria, to their credit, they didn't actually look bad. And it would have been quite easy to look bad against this Sassuolo team, but they stood relatively firm. They were pretty dangerous on the counter-attack, probably more so in the first half. Um, Stefania Terenzi was, was lively. She was trying to do pretty much everything. And if she wasn't, or even when she was the one starting the attacks, when they got into the final third, they were quite obviously looking for her as the reference point to then try to finish them as well. And she came close a couple of times. They had a goal ruled out for what looked to be a very, very narrow offside. And that was still at nil-nil. So who knows what would have happened then? Although being there, I got the impression that it would have just poked the beast, to be honest, and I think Sassuolo <laughs> might have might have hit four or five had Sampdoria opened the scoring, but Sassuolo very, very much like the re- look like the real deal, and I'm impressed and excited to see what they can do this season. Last season, obviously, there was a, a record-breaking campaign for them. They Points total, finished third for the first time, and it looks like they can go one further again this year, and fingers crossed. I'm definitely putting my backing behind them. They are firmly my Feminile team this season. Last season, I kind of floated between Roma and Fiorentina, but this season, I'm, I'm very much on board the Nero Verde, um, mostly because I can go to their games and visit Sassuolo, to be honest. Um, anyway, Juventus just kept doing what Juventus do. They, they beat Alas Verona 3-0. Uh, Cristiana Girelli scored twice, and Valentina Cernoia, again, for the second week in a row, scored Juventus's third. Ewan, Juve or Juve? Yeah, this is one of their more understated wins, but I think they deserve zero credit credit for it because they're wearing their away kit at home, which is bad. All I'm right, wrong. Kev. I didn't realise Kev was going up <laughs> on the Feminile board. What's happened there? Uh, I'm, I'm not quite as angry about kits as Kev is, but away kits at home, what for marketing purposes, winds me up because <laughs> it just confuses you when you're watching highlights. Um, but yeah, they... They just looked completely calm. Hellas Verona seemed to do a decent job for a while and keep them at bay. I was quite surprised it took as long as it did for you, but once they did, um, you know, like I say, those two Girelli headers were both very, very good. And Valentina Chinoa seems like the perfect player to back up the Juve strike force. She chips in at a perfect amount and she sets up an incredible amount of goals. I, I know she set up at least one of Jerry's headers, it may have been the other one as well. I think they're both from corners. Um, so yeah, they they've just got so many tools to hurt a team. You know, they can afford to have a player like one and say and not score 
not do a great deal during the game and it's fine because they've got other quality players who will just pick up slack. Mm. And Bonasay is one of those as well, right? She she doesn't need to do anything because you know she's going to score about 15, 20 goals this season. <laughs> she can just yeah. stand about and put them away when she really, really needs to. Like the goals she got against Fiorentina last week were, were important, particularly the timing of them. Against Alas Verona, she doesn't really need to score. If she pops up in the game yeah. where they're struggling, that'll that'll do for you, right? But um, you said you're not as angry as Kev about kits. You were also moaning about the the Milan, the Lazio Milan kit situation, weren't you? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, that was weird though, because like why stick them in white against Lazio's incredibly light blue? Yeah, <laughs> like they, they they had black shorts on. To me, that didn't it wasn't enough to save it. Mm. <laughs> no I agree I thought that was farcical to be honest and it's do you know what it's really annoying because that Lazio Milan game was the the free to air game on La Sette here right and it just looked ridiculous it looked dreadful it mm-hmm. really looked bad and it, it's it's something that the has just been a, a constant thing with Italian football and that they don't help themselves when they're trying to sell themselves the product just looks laughable sometimes and that was an example of it You've got a free-to-air game with with Milan, who have one of the best strike partnerships in, in European football, you could argue. And they score eight goals, but it was hard to watch because of the, the kit decisions. I don't know who in their mind gave that the green light, but it was a, a stupid decision. Um, more infuriating than the, the Juve one. I'm turning into Kev now. Um, before we move on to talk about the other three, games that were played this weekend we do have a question from one of our patrons and it's quite complimentary so we're going to be a little bit self-indulgent here right and i'm going to read through at you Uh, it comes from sonia says long time listener first time caller with a question your seria feminile coverage has been great best english-speaking source she has found by far her question is however for those getting into the league what three domestic and three international players should we be watching out for so I sent you this. I'll let you know a little bit before we recorded. We've we've both got three Italian players and three non-Italian players who we think will will be worth watching for, for those of you who are new to Serie A Feminile. And I have a feeling that some of our players are going to overlap a little bit because we tend to, to talk about them quite often. But Ewan, can you just give me the list? Your, your three domestic players and then your three foreign players then i'll name mine and then we can have a little bit of a chat about them okay so my domestic players are anna maria cesarini which is not a shock uh valentina chernoia who you already mentioned okay and valentina giacinti who you already mentioned <laughs> okay we've and we've then, only gone for one of the same there but i knew you were going to pick okay. Sartorini, so i deliberately left her out in, in favor of someone yeah, else yeah there's one that i reckon in the nationals that you've got that I certainly could have included. I mean, there's lots of very good players. Mm. Um, and then international-wise, I've gone for Lindsay Thomas, who we've already mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> These players keep coming up. Um, Andrea Saskova from Juve, because I just think she's got quite an interesting trajectory going on with her career. And even more so trajectory-wise, Nina Kajba at AS Roma, because she is only 17 and is also already made a debut, which I think mm. says 
quite a lot. Yes, it, it does. I'm just going to run through my players and then we will have a little bit of a chat. So for the domestic players, I've gone for uh, probably not that surprisingly, Sofia Cantore, because I think she's brilliant. I thought she was brilliant with Florentia as well. And now she's gone up a level playing with, with Cleland. Valentina Giacinti is the one player that we've we've overlapped with there. And for my third, I wanted to do Anna Maria Sartorini, but I know that she is probably your favorite player in, in the league. So <laughs> I went for a different angle and I went for Eleonora Goldoni because she's okay. at Napoli. And I don't really know why, because she's probably better than that. And she's like an, a midfielder who gets quite a lot of goals and is very important to that team. For the overseas players, what a surprise. I've gone for Lana Cleland. That's <laughs> the top one. I love her. Andressa Alves from Roma because she's one of the most just she's a relaxing player to watch you know she never seems under pressure so I've gone for her and then Lindsay Thomas as well so we've from six we've both overlapped on two I think we did quite well there to, to spread it out but let's talk through it you, you mentioned the the Roma 17 year old and I think can we say can we not say? I think we can say, right? Yeah, so yeah, I'll, I'll throw it over it to tonight. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got an exclusive an interview, another one, um, with Nina Kasper at Roma, which will be out later this week. Um, she, not only is she only 17, she's not even been 17 for that long. Um, her birthday's in April. And it, you know, as someone who I like to think of myself as relatively young, it didn't sit well with me interviewing somebody who is that much younger than me. But she, she's come from Slovenia. She only joined Roma this summer. And, um, and essentially, she didn't hide it herself when I asked her about it. The Slovenian league, despite her age, was just too easy for her. So she got 32 goals in 14 appearances in that league for her um, previous team. Can you just repeat those and numbers? She's already played goals in the Champions in League as well. Um, last season, they were... Yes, 17 years of age, <laughs> um, which, you know, that, that's why she's been clearly fast-tracked to a better league. Um, and, you know, she, she's already played in the Champions League. They were one game away from getting through to play against Barcelona, which would have been pretty incredible for her. Um, and, you know, she, she's in a weird situation now where she's one of the only players in the Roma squad who have played in the Champions League. Um, but... She's just, she's one of them forwards where, like, obviously most forwards, they're either really good at dribbling, they're really good at finisher, they're really tall. She seems to have all of that. And it wasn't necessarily expected by um, by the sort of, the, the, the few amounts of media that we can find for Serie F media coverage that she would be involved with the first team particularly quickly. But evidently she's impressed in training and she got, she got the last quarter of an hour last weekend. She didn't come on this weekend. It was a slightly tight game, as we'll come on to later. But, you know, it looks like she's going to get a decent handful of minutes this season. I would not be at all surprised to see her pick up a goal or two. And, you know, if, if she really is the real deal, there's also, sadly, a real chance that she may not spend that long in the division. She may move on. Yeah, quite possibly. The people we've spoken to at Roma as well seem very excited about the talent yeah. she has. So she's definitely one to watch. Um, Jacinto, we've spoken about Cantore. We've spoken about Cleland, but Cantore is basically the, the perfect complement for, for Cleland because she's 
She's an amazing dribbler. She moves in possession a lot more than Claland does. And she's rapid and just one of those that can explore space and, and find space very, very well as well. Goldoni, goal-scoring midfielder. But my favourite my favorite midfielder in, in Serie A Feminile is definitely Andressa because she's she never panics. She's just the calmest presence on the ball. And I remember watching her in the, the Coppa final and just thinking, like, she's, she's not playing this match. She's playing a different match that she has created in her head. And there's 21 players around her that just are irrelevant. When she has the ball, she does what she wants to do when she wants to do it, and it always works out. I don't think she's ever misplaced a pass in her life, to be perfectly honest with you. And she's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. She did very well for Brazil at the Olympics in the summer as well, scored a stunning goal, which I would encourage you guys to check out. But watch Andressa. If Roma are playing and you can watch it on La Sette, which is, is free to, to air wherever you are in the world as well, by the way, just tune in and watch Andressa. She's a joy, an absolute joy. Lindsay Thomas, we've, we've spoken about you. And is there anyone else that you want to single out from your list and, and chat about a little bit? Well, um, Roma fans will be very happy to hear after you saying that about Andressa Elms that on the other wing, you can have Anna Maria Sertorini, who is just the most... She's probably, with the way you describe Al, she's probably... The opposite sort of player in the sense that she's so involved and very very frantic but in, a, in an incredibly measured way she's so fast down the wing and she's she's really good at you know she's she's not one-dimensional she's very good at cutting inside and she can easily beat a player on the outside and put in a very very nasty cross at the same time so that, that's what makes Roma a hell of a lot of fun to watch because they've got two deeply skillful players on either side of the pitch yeah absolutely right Back to the games then. Sonia, I hope that answers your question. I should say actually as well. If, if you do want to get questions in, head to patreon.com slash Forza Italian Football. Sign up for as little as two euro a month to get a little bit of extra content and priority for questions for the podcast. We also have five euro and 10 euro tiers and I would urge you, if you can afford it, the five euro tier is very much worth your while. Inter beat Empoli 4-1. I thought that's quite a big result because Inter were almost flirting with the relegation fight last year. They were a little bit above it, but they were almost down there. Rita Guarino's come in. They do look like they're a different team this year, and you and they should be a little bit more comfortable come the end of this season. Yeah, I mean, as it stands, they, they don't look any worse than the teams that we're talking about to win the title. You know, whether they can sustain this remains to be seen, they probably can't. But like you say, this is a very, very different team to the one that did flirt with relegation last season. They've won, they've won all three games now, and they've done it pretty comfortably as well. Um, Gloria Marinelli seems to be the, the danger person up top. They've got two or three other players who all seem to be capable of chipping in the goals. That was a couple of very, very nice goals against Empoli. Um, but this was a bit of a weird game because Empoli did actually miss two penalties, one of which was shocking. <laughs> it was just absolutely blazed over the bar, which is possibly the worst way to miss a penalty. The other one was just slightly wide. It was a bit more fair enough. Um, I didn't quite catch if it was the same player or not. Um, the second one was right at the end, so it probably wouldn't have made a huge amount of difference to the result. But, but yeah, into you know they're, they're still right up there. They've won three games. So 
as far as they're concerned, they're doing the right thing. Another team who are doing the right thing are Napoli. They've they got their first win of the season and they only won three games in the entirety of last term and stayed up at 14 points. So to get off the mark this early is, is huge. Ariana Acuti scored the winner in the 83rd minute against Fiorentina. And I mean, Napoli were outplayed. Fiorentina did dominate that game, but both sides managed to get three shots on target. So it shows that Napoli, when they had the ball, they did a whole lot more with it than Fiorentina did. And, I, I do think that this could be a season again where we see Napoli just about survive. And then next summer, who knows if, if they can keep hold of Goldoni and maybe bring in a couple of others, they, they can push on again. The last game, Pomigliano yeah. won Roma two. You and we won't spend too long talking about it because we've spoken a lot about Roma via Sartorini and Dressa and um, everyone else. But this was as convincing a 2-1 win as a 2-1 win could possibly be. They had 21 shots, 73% of the possession, and they they only won 2-1. Yeah, and what, what was quite interesting about this game is what the coach said afterwards. Um, he said that this, this match will be useful for us in the future, and the most important thing is the nine points. Obviously meaning getting to nine. They didn't get nine from the game. <laughs> um, but it did seem like the sort of game where you know, as much as they were on top, they were vulnerable throughout in the sense that it was only a one-goal lead for the last chunk of the game. And if you want to really challenge towards the top of the table, you can't have a lapse in concentration and let that disappear from you. Pomigliano seemed to be, obviously they are, of course, one of the lower teams in the division, but they do seem quite stubborn and they are capable of avoiding absolute batterings based on what they've done so far. Um and that's, that's the exact sort of game that you, you could easily have a lapse in concentration at the end and suddenly you only get one point. And as we've said, that could be fatal <laughs> title-wise in this campaign, which is what's so daft about it. Because obviously with it being 12 teams as well, like each win or defeat is kind of amplified in how we think of it in our heads because there's such a fewer amount of games that the end of the season rolls around a lot quicker. Yeah, absolutely right. And it links back to what we were saying. I can't remember. I don't think it was last week. No, it was last week we did the the special Feminile pod that the teams at the top, if they don't win a match, crisis, good night, season's over. So th- there is that extra jeopardy to all of this. Ewan, thank you very much for, for taking the time to come and join us as ever. I know you're going to be meeting Kev during the week, so all I can yeah. say is good luck with that. <laughs> Yeah, have to find find a bar that suits all three of us because it's it's Kev and his wife who I've right. not spoken to before. So I need, <laughs> need to be careful not to do that thing where you meet up with someone and just just talk about football to one person while there's somebody else there who might might want to talk about something else. <laughs> uh, Stace is Stace is much more pleasant than than Kev is, so you'll be fine. Don't oh, worry. Brilliant. Whatever you talk about, <laughs> she'll be happy to talk about it. Um, all right, we'll speak to you guys again soon. Goodbye. Let's head over to patreon.com forward slash Forza Italian football, where our lovely patrons have been sending us some questions. So there is one from Sonia who says, long time listener, first time caught. Oh, she gone for that opener. Your Serie A Feminile coverage. Oh, it's complimentary. We'll skip ahead. And she wants to know, that's a, do you know what? That's a question I'm going to answer with, with you and in, in the Feminile coverage. So, 
stay tuned for that and we will pop that in just after this we'll go to dev's question and dev wants to know guys with juve in decline i feel it's time for the south to lay claim for the scudetto what do you make of napoli's decision or apparent willingness to sell Insignia and Kulabelli when they are giving their blood and soul for the Parthenope? It's a two-parted question there for you, Kev. Yeah, and I think you can um, you can consider both sort of players kind of separately. Obviously, Kulabelli, well, they're both 30. So they're both approaching what is kind of the latter stages of their career. Um, Kulabelli isn't a local like Insigne. Um, it feels a little bit like maybe De Laurentiis has realised that he's kind of missed the boat with when he probably could have maximised the profit they would have got for Koulibaly. Now, it wouldn't surprise me as maybe this summer, because clubs are taking a bit of a punt on, let's say, older footballers than maybe they were a decade ago, that they can still get some money for them. And the fans probably wouldn't uh, worry too much about it, and it would allow them the finances to kind of reinvest that some in some of that in the squad. And I think Insigne, I think if they don't if they don't do something this year with regards to the Scudetto, you could understand why maybe um, this is probably a, a very old reference, but thinking more of one club men like Batistuta that went and sort of got a little you know got a little success. Um, with Roma in 2001 it's like well they probably because of because of the blood and sweat as Dev says um, they've given to the cause that they actually probably wouldn't sort of um, hold it against them moving away to get you know a Scudetto medal under their belts but I think there was something that I saw online I think um, you yourself I think it was Thomas uh, Reed said about the Udinese kind of financing Mm. you know why haven't they reinvested that that money it's kind of a different different uh thing with napoli because they've not cashed in on those two players but i think people we're in this era where as soon as somebody sees some money coming in they want it to be spent it's like well you know there are there are running costs and the, the bubble that football's in at the moment can't go on forever so that's why um they'd be willing to sell the likes of Kulabali and insigne if it allowed them to to sort of keep paying good wages for players they want to retain who maybe aren't at the latter stages of their career. So I can see reasons for Napoli getting rid of one or both of them and why you wouldn't begrudge one or both of them looking to move on. Vita, Marco wants to know, was Mikel Damsgaard staying at Sampdoria the best piece of transfer business that didn't happen over the summer? He's also put forward Andrea Bellotti's staying at Torino as, as a possible competitor for that crowd. I'll quickly go to Bellotti first because with him, he's been linked with these moves and then over the years, uh, Urban Cairo, the Granata president, has thrown these figures around that he wouldn't sell him for 80 million, for 100 million, then now it's, you know, 40 million. So uh, either way, uh, Bellotti just looks settled at Torino. And uh, we see these stories about Bellotti going to X club or Y club or whatnot, but these moves don't eventuate. So I think with him, it's just a continuous cycle. Uh, When it comes to transfer rumours regarding Bellotti and a transfer, um, I'm just going to believe it when I see it. 
if Roma <laughs> does sign him one day or he finally goes to Milan or if Atalanta pulls one out of the hat, then I'll believe it when I see official confirmation from those respective clubs to say he's no longer a Torino player. Damsgaard, on the other hand, yeah. Uh, although his start at some this season hasn't been the best, um, for some to hold on to him has been fantastic because he was great at the Euros. He's continued that form after the tournament with Denmark. He, he provided a few assists during the international break. And uh, with the talent he possesses, uh, I'm surprised that he's still on the books because I think he can still have another very good season in Serie A. And he was linked with so many clubs. Uh, there were, again, there were a number of high figures for him being uh, thrown around. And instead of going for 20 or 25, there was speculation of him going between 40 and 50. So for some to hold on to someone of his calibre, his talents, and after what he did at the Euros, I think, uh, you know, I think he might be the difference between some sort of battling relegation or sitting mid-table or somehow trying to get into the top half. It's time for the game, guys. He thought I forgot, didn't he? Um, there are days <laughs> I did forget until about 25 minutes ago, so there you go. Um, right. Which games did you watch this weekend? Which games did you watch? I can't answer that question without being exposed as a massive fraud, so I'm not going to answer that question. Um, this player... Well, I, I didn't tell you what games I watched, so I'm not going to tell you what I was going to tell you. What's the score for this season so far? 2-0 to Kev? No, I think it's one and a half. It's one, no, you, you're getting the full point. You gradually gave me half. Oh, you're like getting the full point. I think, no, I'm on two, am I? Well, we've only played it twice. You're either giving me a point. No, because the first, you, the you first week me... we played it twice. So I got a point and you got a point the first week. Oh, so it's two one, and then I got the point last week, didn't I? Oh wow, well, no, because you gave it to me, even though I could, I forgot how to pronounce. Oh, uh, did I? And Manianelli's name. Right, Manianelli, you're yes, right. Because you, I was about, to, I was about to bastardize that again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. So the points total is two to Kev, one to me, and yeah. zero to Vito. Vito, I do really respect what you're doing here. Um, I'll respect it even more if you if you give him the point this week, but I don't think you will. Anyway, he's, he's, he's doing a Juve. <laughs> yeah, he is, isn't he? Um, so, I, how do we work this? <sighs> Just Kev goes first, basically, isn't it? Hey, Kev goes first. <laughs> okay. Right, Kev, take it away. Are they Italian? No, they're not Italian. Does this player play for a club in northern Italy? Yes. Is it a player from one of the clubs based in Milan? No, it is not a player from a club in Milan. Is it a player based in Turin? No. Is it an Atalanta player? No. Are they based in Genoa? Can you rephrase your question, please? Oh, are they, do they play for a club that plays in Genoa? Yes, the they do. Not be yes. So, do they play for Sampdoria? Yes, they do. Are they a attacker? No, they are not. Vito, look at his face once he saw that it was a okay. sound player. <laughs> All right, is is it is it a is it a midfielder? Yes. Um, is it Morton Torsby? It is. 
Morton Thorsby. Yes, you're absolutely correct. Congratulations. <sighs> Vito Torre is off the mark for the Thank season, you. Kev. Good night. Um, I'm afraid that is where your points total will probably stay for the remainder of the It was season. nice that was so quick. I enjoyed that. Being so quick. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Any more for any more? Vito, have you anything to say? No, that's it for this week. Talk about Patreon. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> yep. Go on the... Go on Patreon.com. Look for Fort Italian Football. There are three options, so have a look out. And we appreciate the support. So um, the more, the merrier, as they say. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Absolutely. Kev, have you anything else to say? I, I hear the five-euro option is uh, very, very good for those that want to sign up. But the five-euro option is very good. And shall I tell you why the five-euro option is very good? Because last week, the five-euro option, bear in mind, it's five-euro for... A month as well, right? So you're paying 125 a week, and last week you got two extra podcasts and a Serie A newsletter. If you sign up for the two euro tier, you will get one extra podcast and and one newsletter a month, but you will get priority to questions for the podcast, of course. So that is a bonus, undoubtedly. But also, as if that wasn't enough, the five euro tier get free merchandise for absolutely no reason. We just send you stuff, so. We've been sending out messages trying to get your addresses. Um, don't worry, we're not going to send Kev to your house. He doesn't even have my address, so he's not going to get yours. We just want to send you free things. And with the 10 euro tier, there, there is the potential to get one of the beautiful FIF mugs that myself and Vito Doria regularly drink out of, sometimes on the pod, sometimes just in, a, in our free time. Um, so yeah, patreon.com forward slash Forza Italian football.com. Thank you to all of those who have signed up already. And those of you who are going to sign up soon, well, we look forward to, to seeing you over there. And we will speak to you on there very, very soon. We'll be back on Thursday with the preview podcast. So until then, patrons, goodbye. <laughs> Non chiedermi perché Di tempo ne è passato E siamo ancora qua E oggi come allora Difendo la città
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 